Welcome to the Huntback Country Podcast today. This is episode number 327, and it is a listener story. Earlier in the fall of 2021, we got an email from Jake, and he sent us some really cool photos of a moose uh, that he had hunted in Alaska and was sharing his success with us. And he had some nice things to say about the pack and stuff like that, uh, but didn't say too much in the email. And then a week or so later, I think it was, I got an email from his uncle. And his uncle, knowing that Jake was a pretty humble, quiet guy, told us more of the story. And so Jake's uncle told me in the email, I hope Jake tells you how he was dropped off by bush plane to hunt alone for the first three days. I hope he tells you about killing the moose six miles from camp, then field processing the entire moose by himself. I also hope he shares how it took two days to get help flown in for him after killing the moose and how he had packed five of the nine loads by himself through the Alaskan bogs and brush. And so Jake's uncle filled us in on more of the story. And soon as I heard all those details, it sounded like an amazing adventure. I knew I wanted to get Jake on the podcast to tell us the whole story and the true story. And that's what we're doing today. So this is a remote Alaskan moose hunt that ended up being solo and a heck of an adventure. And I hope you enjoy this story. Let's get right into it. Here's Jake. Well, Jake, welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast. Excited to chat with you today. Yeah, likewise, guys. I'm glad. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. We'll, t- we'll talk about uh, your uncle and what got you here <laughs> in terms okay. of on the podcast, but uh, <laughs> kick us off with just like a little personal background, whatever you want to share, just to help listeners understand who you are, where you're coming from. All right. Yeah. My name's Jake Russell, 41 years old, um, born and raised in Oregon, grew up hunting, fishing with the family, um, own a small excavation business here and travel you know we fly all over the west and draw tags wherever we can and um hunt as much as we can it's like we i tell my kids we work to hunt so i like it so yeah the 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 story is and we'll we'll get into this hunt but you had sent over some just some field photos didn't say much uh about this hunt but an awesome alaskan moose and uh super great moose and we'll get into the hunt but you just didn't say much and then i think it was probably i don't know if it was a week or a couple weeks later i get an email and it's uh this guy and he's saying hey i think you may have uh got this email from my nephew and he killed this moose in alaska but he didn't tell you the whole story of like what happened and so your uncle proceeds to tell me what really happened on this hunt uh which sounds like it was a heck of an adventure. Um, so we'll get there eventually, but to back up, how did this hunt actually come together? Was it your first time hunting Alaska? Kind of give us the background on what led up to the hunt. Yeah. So I've, um, I've always had a dream of killing adult sheep. And a few years ago, I started applying with an outfitter in Alaska and, um, uh, haven't drawn, we were at sheep show in 2020, my wife and I, and we were talking with the outfitter, Dan, Montgomery's his name and he's you know he had some pictures of some moose that they've been killing and um you know he doesn't advertise for moose hunts or nothing like that 
my wife has always wanted a moose on, on our wall. And uh, so long story short, she signed me up this particular area. You have to be um, under outfitter contract. So she signed me up 2021 rolls around. I ended up drawing my first year. So it um, wasn't really in the plans. I'd always you know, thought about killing a moose, but my wife was really the driving influence behind it to a moose tag and off I was headed for Alaska. Yeah. It's, it's not often you hear the story of, yeah, my wife kind of made me go <laughs> no. on this yeah. moose hunt. Yeah. Like you say, like it's no oh, big yeah. deal. <laughs> no, she's my, she's my biggest fan. She, um, I, I couldn't, we couldn't do what we do without her. You know, she helps run our business and she, um, yeah, she hunts with me. She, she's killed elk deer, antelope herself. And it's just, you know, it's, it, it's in our family. It's just what we do. That's cool. So you were, you were there with her when she signed you up or was it some sort of surprise? She later was like, no, hey, I was by the there. way, I was there. I was talking to Dan. She starts filling out this form. I'm like, what are you doing? She goes, I'm signing you up for the moose draw. I was like, okay. And I never, it's not great draws. I never really expected to draw. She's next thing I know, I was headed to Alaska. Yeah. So you drew the first year you actually put in for moose then? <laughs> I did. Yeah. Okay. What kind of, if you don't mind sharing, what kind of draws are we talking like single digit percentage or? Yeah. Single digit. Exactly. Like six, 7%. Okay. Wow. For that particular area. Yeah. Dang. So, um, I'm trying to think Alaska wise, when did you find out results for moose and how far did you then have to plan the hunt? So application deadline was December 15th and you find out draw results in February. So okay. I found out in February and I flew out, um, that's that particular season starts September 1st. And I actually arrived in Alaska September 2nd. Nice. And you did say this is your first trip to Alaska. Yes. It was yeah. for hunting. It was, I, I was up there one other time on a fishing trip, but yeah, my first time hunting Alaska. Cool, man. So what did between February and uh, the start of the hunt, what did things look like for you? Did you feel like you needed to do anything different than you had prepared for a regular hunting season? Did you feel like you needed any different gear, anything like that of how those months kind of went by? Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, things rush through your mind, but I, of course, bought a new pack. That's how I ended up with you guys with the XO K3 4800. Um, that was one of the first things I bought, upgraded all my rain gear. Um, that's all I could, uh, everybody I've talked to, they just kept saying, man, make sure you have good rain gear. Alaska's miserable, wet place. And, um, so yeah, upgraded my ring gear. And then obviously, you know, I try and stay in decent shape year round, but you know, improved my conditioning and just hit it hard all summer long until the time finally came to get on a plane. Cool. What'd you do for rain gear and how'd it work out on the hunt for you? I ended up going with QU, the Katana series, and um yeah, it worked great. It was everything up there's thick and you know, the willow. Mm -hmm. Um, it's it's hard on gear and it kept me dry for sure. Except for when, you know, you're hiking through that stuff, sweat, and then you're wet, obviously, but mm -hmm. yeah. So the logistics of the sun, it was going to be like a, a one-on-one, -on -one. you were the only hunter and then just with one guide or what did that look like? Yeah. So I was, you know, I was scheduled to fly in when I found out I drew, I spoke with Dan and he said, he usually doesn't fly in moose hunters tell you know at least the seventh or the eighth and the roost start, or the moose start you know going into pre-rut and um are callable but the problem was is he has goat hunters going on at that time 
goat hunts. And he said, you know, if you want to come up early, Jake, I'd known Dan for a few years. And uh, I think he, you know, he knew I was more than capable. He said, if you want to come up and go um, early, I'll fly you in around the third, second or third. And um, you're, you're going to have to hunt by yourself for a few days. And then I'll get you in a guide as soon as we're done with she- um, goat camps. And I was, I was like, yeah, I'm all about that. I'd rather do solo anyways. So um, he gave me that opportunity and that's, you know, non-resident does not have to have a guide for a moose in that region. And so I said, yeah, I'd love to do that. He flew me up and I flew up there and then he flew me in on September 3rd and dropped me off by myself. That's a, that's a bold move. (laughs) (laughs) My wife wasn't too excited about it, but, um, but yeah, I, I was, I was all about it. Yeah. Did you go with a uh, inReach or a sat phone or anything like that for communication? Both. So I had Both. an inReach. I had a, a warm inReach mini and then Dan, the outfitter sent me with a sat phone. Yep. And he's, okay. Wow. He was, he was great. He said, call me every night. He said, no matter what, I don't care. He gave me extra batteries. He said, I want you to call me every night. So. Yeah. What was, uh, I don't, dude, I just, not many guys would make that choice, right? Because it sounds like you could have been like, oh, well, I'll just show up on the 7th or the 8th and hunt, right? It's it's a guided hunt type thing. But you intentionally choosing to be solo, and as you said, kind of preferred it. Did you just want that experience for yourself, by yourself? I mean, it's just going from never been to Alaska to then getting dropped off by a cub and being left alone in the middle of nowhere not even mentioning that you're hunting moose of all species, which is, you know, just tough solo. Like there's just a lot that goes into that and you glossed over it, but that was, no, just, it was what, something you wanted to do. You know, I might, I don't know. I didn't, it was definitely something I wanted to do once it was presented to me. Um, I've killed a lot. I've killed several bulls by myself and worked them up. And honestly, I was not prepared for a moose. I mean, I thought I was, but I was not, I mean, it was, looking back probably wasn't maybe the best decision to do that solo, but, um, it's just, it ended up, it worked out. And I mean, I wouldn't change anything about it, but it was, it was definitely, um, a trying experience to say the least. Isn't it amazing how big those things are when you're standing over them compared to like, you think you're like, ah, they're bigger than an elk, but not that much bigger, but (laughs) oh my Lord. I had, (laughs) when I walked up on that bull, I was, I was in utter disbelief. I was just like, Oh my gosh, what did you do? And, um, it was, yeah, it was, it was awe-inspiring. It was, I can't explain it. I can't put it into words, the norm, the normosity of a, of a bull moose, um, of that caliber. It was, it was shocking. Uh, so getting dropped off, did they, yeah, they provided a camp for you essentially. Did they help you kind of get like a camp set up and whatnot before they go wheels up and get out? Yeah, or so what did that so look Dan like? and I flew in in a super cub um, to a little remote landing strip in a valley right on a river. And um, we set up one of those um, Alaska bomb shelter tents. I helped him set it up. Super cool. You know, he had all the food and everything for me. Um, propane cook stove you know, everything I basically needed, but, um, I did help him set up camp. And then, um, he said, all right, I'll see you in a couple of days, few days, as soon as I can get back in here with a guide. And, uh, he was off when that plane went wheels up and left. It was just, I'll never forget that feeling, the silence and the solitude and just the, the, the idea of being alone, um, that far from anything was something I'd never experienced either. Do you have any 
gut check moments then when the plane flew off? Oh, you definitely rethink every move you make. Yeah. It's like, yeah, there's no room for screw ups here. Um, you know, cause he's even by a super cub cub, he's three hours to get back to me. So, oh, um, crap. yeah, three hours in a super cub. So, you know, you, you, you think all your actions through pretty thoroughly. <laughs> yeah. Your guys, you guys are back there. That's a pole on the cub. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was. Any, uh, um, any bears around that you got to be aware of or? High population, I, low population. I saw black bears. I never did see a grizzly bear. I did see their tracks. I never okay. did see one, but yeah, they're there. Yeah. Wow. So the first day, did you hunt at all? I'm, I'm picturing you probably stayed kind of at camp and get to lay the land, maybe do some glassing. But once you're dropped off, once you have the feeling of isolation, it's probably helpful to keep yourself a little bit busy. What, what did that look like? How did you pass the time those first moments? Yeah, I just um, glassed a lot. I went up on a knob above camp. You can't hunt within 24 hours of flying. So, um, you know, Alaska rules. So I didn't even take my a rifle. I just went up on a little knob right above camp and just glassed. And um, yeah, just kind of wrapped my head around everything. And flying in, you know, that was pretty cool. Dan flew me up the valley and showed me everything, um, which turned out to be very beneficial in the end because he showed me a meadow at the very head of the valley um, six miles from camp, um, a meadow. And he said, I've landed in that meadow before. So if by chance you end up this far, I can, I can land in this meadow, um, to get, to pack a moose out. And that I've ended up being close to where I killed my bull. It was my, I killed my bull a mile from that meadow. And so if he wouldn't have showed me that I probably wouldn't have shot that bull because I knew, I knew after hiking up there the next day that there's no way I would have been able to pack a bull back to that base camp from that far away. So, um, that was super beneficial. We saw, we saw several moose flying in. Um, we believe we saw that same bull. It was really thick, but we saw a pretty good bull down in some, um, willows and close to that area where I killed him. And so that's how, that's how that all played out. What's the terrain look like? Obviously river valleys, big mountains on the side, kind of rolly. Exactly. Yep. River in the bottom. Um, I was, I was blown away at all the beaver ponds. I mean, 30, 40 beaver ponds, probably in that Valley. Um, so a lot of bogs, a lot of, um, super swampy areas. Um, and then, yeah, obviously mountains on the sides, but the red willow, I don't know if they call it Arctic willow or what it is, but it just red willow then with some spruce trees, you know, interspersed Mm -hmm. throughout. So beautiful. I mean, absolutely beautiful. What was, um, what was your kind of grasp or maybe even strategy on calling? Um, cause it's such a unique, you know, calling mooses, it's a unique sound. Were you going to rely on that much going into the hunt? Were you just kind of play that by ear? Um, cause there's different, you know, whether guys like doing what you did and getting dropped versus float, you know, there's different kinds of strategies for different areas even. Yeah. Well, I knew I was a little early, um, pre-rut you know, I was, I planned on being there as long as it took. Um, but honestly, my calling was horrible. I've never called a moose before I practiced, um, probably drove my wife crazy, but it was, it was not good. It was pretty ugly. My calling. So luckily I never had to call, but, um, I watched some videos and if it came down to it, I guess I would have attempted it, but they'd have probably ran the other direction. Yeah. So in the, the time you spent glassing before you can start hunting, 
were you able to spot anything from from that knob from pretty near camp? Yeah, I did. So I spotted a couple smaller bulls. Um, you know, nothing I was at all interested in. Um, that area I was in, it's a 50 inch minimum um, spread or four brow tines on one side. Um, I did see one bull that was probably in the you know low 50s. I would guess. Um, you know, not worth, not worth taking a chance on. And then several cows, saw several cows. So I knew, you know, eventually bulls were going to show up into that area with the cows. So. I guess you did a lot of research, especially once you knew you're going to be solo, um, just kind of on judging moose. I did. I did spend a lot of time online, um, magazines, obviously. And um, yeah, I mean, it was, that was my biggest fear was screwing up and not shooting, you know, shooting a legal bull. So I had, I mean, I told myself, that no matter what, I'm going to not pull the trigger unless without a doubt, this bull's legal. So that was, that was probably one of my biggest fears going into it alone. Was it a, like a 50 inch minimum and then some with the brow tines? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Right. 50 inch or spread minimum and four brow tines on one side. Okay. Did you on find each any side? One side, one, one side, side had to have four brow tines. Yeah. Yeah. Did you find any resources that kind of helped specifically with that? Or is that just a matter of looking at basically as much as you can? Does anything stand out from kind of that research you did? I Googled it. I Googled antler spread and there's, you know, there's just a plethora of, you know, um, articles online on Google. You, there's a lot of information, you know, out there for guys once they start researching. Yeah. Cool. So, yeah, I guess, uh, take us to, you're legally hunting now because <laughs> it sounds from like from the story, things didn't take too long to come together and don't feel like you got to skip straight to the bull you killed, but how did the actual start of uh, the legal hunts go for you? So yeah, September 4th was my first legal day of hunting. I spent that day hiking a ridge above, above the Valley glassing. Um, I think I saw six different moose that day. Um, two small bulls, several cows, um, nothing legal or one, one possible legal bull. And, uh, I just made up my mind going back to camp that night. I was going to go up, uh, you know, to the head of that Valley and see if I could find that bull that we saw from the plane, um, two days before that and see, just see what happened. And so got back to camp late that night, got up early before daylight left in the dark, actually started hiking. And, uh, there's no trails up there. Everything's just a moose trail or a bear trail and started hiking and, um, got up there, which would have been killed that bull on September 4th, I believe. So yeah, I got back up there No, I killed him on September 5th, got up there and, um, spotted him about a mile away. Just happened to get lucky and see it, saw him stand up out of his bed, saw some, saw a paddle flashing in the sunlight. And, um, so off I went on the stock. Hmm. So you spot him from a mile where you how was it laid out? Were you in the bottom? Were you kind of side hilling up that ridge? What was the approach look like to close, begin to close so distance? The, so the bottom's just dirty, nasty, thick, you know, with um, the creek bottom and it's super swampy with all the beaver ponds. And so I was up a couple hundred yards off the side. And every time I'd get a little elevation, I'd just glass and I'd just happen to come up on a little rise, you know, 
knoll and started glassing and um, that bull stood up up the valley for me so i was glassing up and Mm -hmm. you know again i don't have a lot of moose experience so i set up my spot and scope and um right as he bedded back down he kind of turned and looked at me and i thought oh my gosh you know he looks pretty good so i went further up the drainage another half mile cut the distance in half and um he changed beds one more time and i actually got some pretty cool pictures of him through my spot and scope that time and I knew, I knew without a doubt, he was well, well above 50 inches and illegal bull. And he was just, I mean, he was gorgeous. I was like, that's the bull I'm going to kill for however long it takes. So we laid back down in those willows. I mean, you cannot see him once they lay down. So I'd marked it with, there was one lone spruce, spruce tree. I marked where he was and um, had to cross the drainage to get the wind right. This took, you know, a couple hours to get above him. And so by then it's probably two o'clock in the afternoon and I sat above him at 300 yards or I thought I was above him and, um, glassed and glassed and glassed into those willows and could not spot him for nothing. Um, I talked myself out of him even being there. I wasn't sure if he'd moved when I wasn't, you know, when I was crossing the drainage or when I got eyes off of him, you know, your mind starts messing with you. And I just, I could not for the life of me see him in those willows. So it was late in the day. Um, I had the wind ride. I was like, I was like, I'm just going to work down in there, see if he's there. Just started working my way down, working my way down. And I got about 80 yards and he stood up out of those willows, out of his bed. And all I could see was horns and antler at that point. <laughs> and then I thought it really screwed up. It's crazy how they're, they're so big, both big bodied as well as in this case, massive antlers but they can just disappear in that stuff. I mean, it just shows you how like deceiving and thick that is. Um, especially when you're up on a ridge or a side hill and you're looking down into the bottom, it's like, ah, oh, it doesn't look that bad. And then you think, well, if a moose that big can completely hide, <laughs> it must be pretty terrible. It's pretty terrible. No doubt about it. Yeah. Goodness. So he, you think he heard you coming, saw you, smelled you combination of all the above. For for sure, he heard me. Um, the wind was right. He never smelled me. He just heard something coming, so he stood up. Um, I knew he I knew he couldn't smell me with the wind, and so um, he didn't know what I was. So he actually started like grunting or glunking at me, and uh, I just I just held tight. I had no shot. It's thicker than heck. All I can see is you know basically his head and his antlers. He kind of started walking, you know, posture and walking up the drainage, and he grunt, and then I just kind of paralleled him. You know, he could hear me, but he didn't know what I was. And I, this went on for, you know, several minutes until finally, I don't know, we got, I don't know how far, 30, 40, 50 yards from the original spot where he stood up out of his bed. And um, I finally could get a clear shot through the willows, um, high shoulder shot. And I thought, shoot, I've shot bulls, bull elk there before. I'll just anchor him. And I shot him high in that shoulder and, hardly even phased him. He just turned and went to the bottom of the drainage. I followed him down best I could and came up on the other side and at 300 yards across the drainage. And I, and I put it right, you know, put two in the boiler room and he tipped over right there. Wow. So those follow-up shots you said were at 300. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What uh, caliber and bullet were you shooting? I was shooting a 300 Winchester short mag with a 165 grain Barnes X. Yeah. What's um, the thing with moose again, being so big, even if it doesn't look like they're in a hurry, every step they take covers so much ground. Um, 
how oh, was he, it kind of keeping yeah, up he, with him when he was, you know, you're trying to stay on him after you shot him and he's moving. Was that where you happened to move pretty quick? Oh yeah. I was running full bore through those willows as fast as I could. And, um, I couldn't even see him at that point. I could just hear him going through the willows. I knew he was going towards the bottom and I was praying that he'd come up on the other side and luckily he did, but yeah, he covered that distance. And I mean, seconds, it was, it's pretty amazing how fast they can move. When you had that, those follow-up shots at 300, you're kind of in the bottom. What were you, did you just kind of like drop, shoot from a knee? What, what did that position look like for you? So I was still up off the bottom a little ways okay. and he came up on the other side. So it actually the elevation gain was, you know, Got beneficial. It. So I just, I sat down, luckily there's just enough of an opening. I sat down and I took my pack and I rested across, you know, I was in a sitting position and just sat over the top of my pack and use that as a rest and um yeah hit him twice hit him twice watch him go down at that point watched him go down yep tipped over backwards actually like reared up tipped over backwards and then you know the emotions oh my gosh i gotta pull down the excitement and then um yeah realizing it's late in the day i got a lot of work ahead of me in bear country um yeah went over to him and got the sticker shock of my life (laughs) (laughs) sticker shock good way to put it oh yeah yeah i can only imagine i mean you're solo it's a big task at the same time you're just in all of the animal and how it all happened it had to just be a massive mix of emotions and thoughts oh it was emotion overload i mean you know it's just i mean there's I couldn't wait to get on the inreach and text my wife because I knew her and my kids, you know, they wanted updates daily. And then here I am three days into it, killed a bull already and uh, by myself. And yeah, I mean, his horns, when he went over backwards, his horns actually braided into the ground. So he's upside down and I tried to even move him to get a picture. And it was, it was basically almost impossible. Um, I ruined trekking poles. I mean, you name it. I did everything I could to get his horns, finally got his horns right out of the ground and um, got him on his side where I could at least get a pic- some pictures. And um, yeah, just, just huge, huge, huge animals. Yeah. So Man. I haven't seen a, I haven't seen a picture of the bull. Mark doesn't share things with me. I'll do it now. Uh, what, how big was he? And he was, he was right at 62 inches wide. 62. You know? Wow. That's yeah, awesome. Had, four brow tines on one side, five on the other. And uh, just, I don't know, you know, just a beautiful bull. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. We'll have to, uh, if you're okay with it, Jake, when we put this episode out, kind of put something up on Instagram too, just so guys can see it. Yeah, absolutely. I'll let you see it then, Steve. (laughs) (laughs) I just emailed that too. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So you talk about, I mean, that's one thing. It's one thing to say, Oh, I'm, overwhelmed by how big this animal is and you know just the task of breaking it down but as you mentioned like there's no moving a moose period right (laughs) especially solo period Um, there's no moving yeah there's no moving them so as you said his antlers were stuck on the ground that was a battle to probably even get him you know quote unquote like unpried and in a position to start working them yeah yeah i just can only imagine yeah nothing but willows you know um went to start quartering him, tried to you know, tie his, tie a hind quarter to a willow. It just pulled that willow right out of the ground. Um, 
couldn't eat with parachute cord. So I ended up using a trekking pole um, to prop up a leg where I could start skinning and quartering. Um, snap, snapped my black diamond trekking pole. Um, it was just just from the weight of the quarter resting on it. Yes. Oh yes. my gosh. Yeah. Just. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know what those quarters weighed, but the outfitter told me mature bull this quarter is going to be in the vicinity of 150 pounds. Um, something that guys don't think about, you know, that part, I don't know if this is true for all of Alaska, but that particular area, everything had to come out bone in. So I couldn't mm-hmm. debone the meat. So, I mean, I'm talking rib cage, you name it. I had to saw ribs out, you know, the rib cage with the bone bone in, um, obviously all the quarters, the only thing I was allowed to do was break the, um, leg off at the, the knee, the knee joint. So, man. So you mentioned it was obviously later in the afternoon, pushing evening timeline. What did, how did you get all that done? Did you get all that done? What did that look like? So took some pictures. Um, I knew it was getting dark up there around 10 30, 10 40 at that time. Um, so I just, yeah, you just got to kind of, at that point, get your mind right, get your mind right, go to cut. And, and uh, I just like, all right, I'm going to work until it gets dark and see where I'm at. So I was able to get all four quarters off the carcass um, and then drug, you know, just drug, dragging those is a feat in itself. Drug those quarters, you know, is 50 yards away from the carcass. Um, so uh, no neck meat ribs everything was still on there at that point it got dark on me so i had all the quarters off um i'd pulled the guts out and drug them down the hill away from the carcass best i could and um now it's dark soaking wet sweat from working you know your adrenaline's going um and then i you know i'm just over five miles from camp so it's like now what am i going to go back to camp and hike all the way through all this you know rough terrain or am I going to stay the night? So I started looking around and I was like, my initial thought was I'll just build a fire and sleep here by the carcass and be here to rock and roll in the morning. And the problem was, is there's no wood anywhere near me. It's just all willow. And so it's like, I'm soaking wet. I'm thinking to myself, there is no way that I'm going to stay warm all night long or keep a fire going for that matter. Um, so I was like, heck with it. I'm going to hike back to camp. So, um, now I'm covered in blood. It's dark. And I got five miles to go to camp in grizzly bear country. So yeah, that was, that was quite the emotional roller coaster in my mind. Um, Were you talking to, to yourself or making any oh, sort yeah. of noise? The whole way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. The whole way. Yeah. Talking, singing. Yeah. It. I was right. doing it. And I thought, man, as long, you know, I just, as long as I knew I, if I stayed moving, I, you know, I was going to be warm and fine. I wasn't worried yeah. about, you know, so I just, yeah, I ended up getting back to camp at, um, two in the morning, um, that brought up another, yeah, Dan, Dan, the outfitter was, he was pretty pissed at me. Cause I, Oh, cause you hadn't called. Well, I text him. I had a, on my in reach. I text him that I had a bull down. The sat phone was at camp, but I text him off my in reach that I had a bull down and I text my wife. I had a bull down and, you know, in a group text so they could see it. Well, Dan was texting me back all afternoon, which I turned my in reach off didn't even think about it, um, working up this bull. And so now he told me every night, get a hold of him. But, you know, I was in the moment working up this bull, never thought about it and, um, didn't get back a hold of him until the following morning. I, you know, I got back to camp at 2 AM 
got back up at 5.30 and uh, called him and he'd been up all night worrying about me. Oh, <laughs> <geez>. <laughs> you know, he, he wasn't too happy with me, but he, he, was, <laughs> he told me he was glad to hear my voice and um, said so that. He could I'm, yell at you. Yeah. <laughs> Um, told me he'd get some help into me as soon as he could, but all of his goat camps were fogged in at the moment. And I said, no worries. I got, I'm just going to hike back up there. So I turned around, hiked all the way back five miles through hell to get back to the board. Just hiking five miles in that country is a four hour ordeal. Yeah. It's several hours, four hours minimum, minimum. And that's at a constant hike. Yeah. And, um, you know, you're sweating by the time you get there. So, um, finished working up the moose, um, you know, all the neck meat. I had a little saw with me, a little outdoor edge saw, which that's a, you know, if you ever go back or the guys listening, man, take a good saw to cut those, um, rib, mm-hmm. those ribs out. Cause that was, that was a job, um, cut the ribs out. And so then I have all the meat, you know, quartered and deboned or not deboned, but off the carcass. And, um, it's like, so I took one quarter that afternoon to that meadow and then turned around and hiked back to camp that night got back well after dark again and uh, called dan on the sat phone and he said he said supposed the weather's supposed to clear up tomorrow um i still cannot get into my sheep or my goat camps but he said i'm gonna fly you in and move you to the meadow where um you're a you know i'm only a mile from the bull then Mm -hmm. and um I just, and you can start shuffling meat to the meadow. And so that's what he did. He flew in. He was able to get into me the next morning and um, moved me up to that meadow where we, where I, we set up a spike camp closer to the bull. As you're saying that, I'm like, gosh, it's a, probably not a bad idea to have like an ultralight backpack and set up with you. You know, you, you could have just stayed there to something that's, you know, five pounds of tent and pad and bag or something. That if I ever yeah. went back, I would take, I'd take that. You know, I have a QU, you know, one man tent, something, something yeah. like lightweight that a guy could spike out because that would have made things a lot lot easier yeah hmm. how was it navigating that stuff in the dark i, I see that as i mean you almost got to be on onyx the whole time just yeah. making sure you're going in the right direction for sure yep i had onyx downloaded once i knew the area i was going to be in downloaded all that yeah i was checking it constantly i mean you're obviously in a huge river drainage so i mean you kind of have an idea but everything's so thick up there you miss your camp by a couple hundred yards you're walking right past it so right right yeah you're definitely on x is a must makes me think that night uh steve we packed out um which was that which bowl was that we were packing out late on our caribou hunt that first night oh tyler tyler's bowl yeah yeah, i wasn't with you guys yeah yeah but there's like four of us and i'm like i don't feel like the moon should be over there you know just like had that (laughs) feeling and we look at onyx and i was like oh yeah we're going the wrong way (laughs) (laughs) definitely easy to do up there (laughs) wow so you got moved to the meadow with your camp but you still had you only had one quarter at the meadow at this point right at that point, that's exactly right. Yeah, I only had one okay. quarter there. And Dan, Dan's Dan's in his early 60s, mid-60s. I don't know exactly how old he is. But we landed that next morning in the meadow in the Super Cup. And I thought, you know, geez, I'll just be on my own. No big deal. And he, he throws on a, a back, a Barney's, you know, pack frame. That's what those all those guys use up there, most of those outfitters. And he said, let's go look at your bull. And I was like, holy smokes. I said, you're going to go in there with me? He goes, yeah, let's go. And so he he hiked all the way to my bull with me. And uh, – you know, he was, he was pretty impressed. He said, I did a really good job working up, 
the bull. You know, he ended up trimming a little more meat off of the neck and um, some other areas. Um, he, I was very impressed with how thorough he was. He said, you know, I've been guiding up here for 35 years and my reputation means everything to me. The last thing I'm going to do is leave any meat. And I was, I was pretty anal. I mean, I, I have a lot of respect for the animal, but I could not believe he, yeah, he took another half hour, 45 minutes and actually trimmed some more meat off the carcass in various areas that I didn't get. And, um, I was, I was very appreciative of it. It, it awesome. spoke, spoke a lot to me. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, so he took, he didn't take a quarter, but he took a bag of meat, um, you know, just some neck meat and some various things. And then we hiked back to the meadow and he, so then I, you know, I obviously packed the quarterback too. And then he uh, flew out that afternoon. So I'll get somebody in D as soon as I can. And, um, he actually was able that night before dark to get a Packer back to me. Um, so he had a Packer into me that night. And then the net following day, we each, the Packer and I made two trips. And then the following day after that, we made our last trip. So it was a total of nine trips on our back to get that bull to the landing, the landing strip. Well, you gave that uh, K3 frame a bit of a workout. <laughs> oh man, that's for sure. I did. That's awesome. <laughs> Goodness yeah. gracious. So this is skipping ahead. We can come back to the hunt uh, or any other details as well. But while we're talking about how many loads this was, how much meat this is, what did that look like getting that home? Um, did you try and get most of it home? Did you donate any? Did you get it processed there, ship it later? Because moose are... You know, we talk, we've talked numerous times of like, oh yeah, it's no big deal flying home with meat from Alaska. We've done it with deer and caribou and whatever, but moose is not quite that easy. <laughs> so what did that um, look like? Everything and everything dealing with Alaska is a, log- is a logistical nightmare. I mean, it's like my wife told me before I left, she said, if we're, if you're spending the money to do this, um, she's like, I'm a hundred percent with it, but she goes, I want that meat you know, our family, that's all we eat is wild meat. And she goes, I want that meat. I don't want to, I don't want to donate it. She goes, let's, let's fly it home. I don't care what we got to do. And I said, okay, yeah, no problem. I'm with you. So, so long story short, um, it was five super cub trips to get all that bull out. You know, you can only put so much weight on those. So five super cub trips to get that, all that meat out, load it in a pickup at the landing strip, um, where you could get a pickup too. And then I ended up driving it all the way to Wasilla, Alaska to a um, little, little processing place called Pioneer Meats. And uh, I checked in 740 pounds of meat, you know, oh, obviously, gracious. obviously bone in, and right. then, um, <laughs> you know, I think um, the air cargo um, bill was five. I believe I shipped home just over 500 pounds of actual meat. Mm. Wow. To Alaska, Alaska air cargo. That's, that's crazy. Yeah. How did, uh, being a bigger, older bull, how did it eat? It's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. <laughs> you know, maybe a little chewy, the steaks, but, um, we got some burger made some breakfast sausage and it's, I mean, we we're eat, we're eating it two or three days a week, you know, yeah. various meals. So, um, the family loves it. Everybody loves it. It's, it's phenomenal meat. Hmm. You, uh, the Alaska air cargo, um, we've touched on that cause I've done it actually, we just did it last week. Um, did you do that personally or did pioneer meats basically do that for you? And then you paid them. So that's kind of a long story. So the guy, <laughs> or some, I didn't know what I was doing. I was, you know, scrambling, trying to figure all this out. Um, 
ended up getting hooked up when I was up there from another guy that was in camp. He said, Hey, use this guy. He, he, he'll take care of you. It was called Alaska trophy expediters. The guy's okay. name was Nick called him up. He's like, yeah, man, I'll um, take care of everything. Told him where my meat, my bowl was at, um, the meat processor. So my wife wanted me to fly home as soon as possible. Once I got out, cause my girls were, they had a rodeo the following weekend anyways. Um, so yeah, he got a hold of Nick and um, some other guys that were in Dan's camp actually delivered my bowl to Nick in Anchorage, and he um, packaged everything, dry iced it, you know, wrapped it in the cooler boxes, um, froze it the night prior, dropped it off at the Alaska terminal, and shipped it for me. And I mean, did exactly what he said, and uh, was very thorough. And I was, yeah, I mean, I'll use that guy again every time I go to Alaska. I'm sure some guys are getting ready to hit rewind on their podcast to hear his name again, but what was it? Nick is his name with Alaska trophy expediters. All right. Perfect. Yep. He'll, I mean, he'll take care of everything from picking you up at the airport to dropping you off. He'll come to any landing strip, you know, in Alaska basically and pick up your meat, your gear, whatever you need. He's a, he was a good guy. Easy going, easy to deal with. Nice. So yeah, we, I know I skipped ahead to getting meat home, but in terms of, as you said, there's five super cub trips. Was there any other, uh, parts of the story or parts of the adventure we kind of skipped over as we skipped ahead there? Um, not really just, you know, it was kind of, <laughs> it's kind of a whirlwind from start to finish, you know, yeah. um, it happened quick. Flew to Alaska on the second, got flown into camp on the third, killed the bull on the fifth. And I was, um, I was home on the ninth. Wow. Yeah, that's off the middle of the quick. night. Red eye, red eye flight that my wife booked for me in the middle of the night because she thought I needed to get home to be able to make it to the girls' rodeo. But yeah. Yeah. Cool, man. So, how do you look back at that trip? Um, obviously, enjoyable, obviously, difficult, memorable, but like what, what stands out? Because to me, hearing the story, if I were to put myself in your shoes, any hunt is fulfilling, except especially the successful ones and especially something new and different. But uh, this was next level with it being moose, with it being solo and all that stuff. So how does it like, what did you, I don't want to say, what did you learn from it? That could be that, but how do you look back at it? Oh, it was, it was uh, it, not only the adventure of a lifetime, but the experience of a lifetime for me. Um, I can't wait to go back. Um, I hope, Hopefully I'm in the draw, obviously for doll sheep with Dan. Um, I, hopefully that's in my near future, but, um, I would, yeah, I would, anybody thinking about doing it or wanting to do it. Um, don't wait. If you financially can justify it, go for it, figure out a way, do it solo. Well, I, I wouldn't do it solo. I, I would not do it. <laughs> well, I, I wouldn't go back and do it solo. If, if I had any regrets on that hunt, um, it would be it would be that I didn't have somebody with me to share that experience. To um, the emotions, you know. I mean, we all know what it's like. I mean, the emotional roller coaster of a of a hard hunt, and then you know, filling your tag and just the gratification. But um, that's not the only reason we do it. But if I'd have had my son with me or my brother or, you know, my uncle who sent you guys the email, just the, the core people, good friends that you hunt with. I mean, just somebody to share that experience with. I think that'd be my only regret. Yeah. So, solo hunts are very satisfying, but they're not 
for me, they're not necessarily fun. Like it's like a, once you're out and like, that's cool. I accomplished that. I did that on my own, but it's like, really, if you got a choice, yeah, you, you got to have company, good company. I, yeah, yeah. Especially the old, yeah. I feel that way. The older I get, you know, it's yeah. like, you know, it's yeah. one thing to prove to yourself or whatever that you can do it, but it's, I don't know. I think, I think you're missing out on a lot, not having somebody to share that experience with you. Cause I mean, I could tell this story all day long, but without being there and living it, yeah. It's, it's just not the same. <laughs> yeah, I've just, just been to Alaska a handful of times myself. That's yeah. I mean, five miles in the dark, dead moose covered in blood. I mean, that alone is, is a, <laughs> been, yeah. like that you're going to remember. <laughs> I'll never forget it. Guaranteed. Yeah. Never. Yeah. Forget it. Goodness. So we talked about getting meat home. What about this uh, giant 62 inch bowl? Yeah. So um, you wrapped it up. Um, you know, styrofoamed all the points, completely um, dry wrapped it and shipped it with the meat. So, and I picked it up in Redmond, Oregon. And uh, yeah, it was, I was surprised. He was the whole thing, which I, you know, completely caped it, did everything. But uh, yeah. Awesome. You got Nick's, uh, uh, in process so it can be hung up on the wall here soon. Yep. It's at the yeah. taxidermist now. It'll go on the wall. Um, I would, my original plan was to head mount it, shoulder mount it. But again, after seeing the size and realizing what I was dealing with and looking at our living room, um, we're just doing a euro. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You'd have just to build a bigger house. <laughs> have to build a bigger house. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. Those moose euros are super, super cool. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I just, the size of, I mean, I think it, it just, you know, we got a fairly decent sized living room, but I just don't think it would, I don't know if it would look right to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah. Take over everything. Oh man. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Jake, I'm glad that you shared the story. I'm really glad that your uncle reached out <laughs> and told us the details to get you on uh, and tell the story. Um, yeah, man. Obviously, uh, good luck with the doll sheep draw and stay in touch and let us know how it goes. I might have to get you back on here to tell some more Alaska adventure stories in the future. Absolutely, guys. I appreciate yeah, appreciate you guys and the gear you make and um, having me on. Um, definitely stay in touch. Well, there you have it, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed that story. If you're listening to this podcast as it's released, it is almost... February of 2022. And in February, we will be on the road a bit. We will be at the Hunt Expo in Salt Lake City. And then the following week, we will be at the Pacific Northwest Sportsman Show in Portland, Oregon. And so if you guys are in the area or you're already planning on attending one of those shows, just want to encourage you guys to stop by the Exo Mountain Gear booth and say hello. Uh, and if you're interested, obviously you can check out the gear. Uh, but if you, know, if you just want to stop by, share a story, say hello, it'd be nice to meet you there. As always, guys, if you have questions, comments, or feedback for us directly, you can always reach out and send us an email to podcast at exomountgear.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you haven't yet, hit that subscribe or follow button in your podcast app to receive future episodes automatically, and we'll talk to you soon.